The Greenwood and Mulliner Show is proudly sponsored by Casa San Lorenzo Gosforth, the best Italian cuisine in the northeast. Reserve a table today on 0191213-0399 or visit casasanlorenzo.co.uk. Newcastle Fans TV. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Greenwood and Mulliner Show here on Newcastle Fans TV today. We are joined by a former Newcastle United player, former Scotland international and Premier League winner, Mr. Kevin Gallagher is on the Green and Mulder show today. But it's a solo one. It's with Mr. Mulder. So, Sam, Kevin Gallagher, Newcastle United, Sir Bobby Robson's first ever signing. Yeah, he will forever be in uh, Newcastle United pub quiz folklore. For that that fact that you've just um, stated there, yeah, it, it's it's been one I wanted on for a while. Truth be told, um, obviously when Sir Bobby took over, we were in a very similar situation that what we were when um, Eddie Howe took over, and and with Kevin being Sir Bobby's first sign, and he was just exactly what we needed at that time, and just epitomised work rate endeavour and the fight of what we needed. Um, so, we, yeah, we talk about his time at Newcastle with Sir Bobby. Obviously, compare that to how we're doing now and talk about um, Kevin's experiences of, of playing in a World Cup, which is now here, I suppose, let's face it. Yeah, of course, the World Cup is pretty much up and running uh, for England in particular, of course. And, you know, it's it's a it's a weird time of the year, isn't it, Sam? I thought with the I'll be honest, in the, I hate the it. You, do you hate international football? Or do you hate the World Cup? No, I don't. No, I don't hate the World Cup. I and I do. I like as a rule, uh, international football just does get in the way. But I, I like. I watch and I and I enjoy the major tournaments. But uh, this one's just just got in the way, hasn't it? Do you feel you might get more involved if England do? Well, say get to the last sixteen with a tournament. Yeah, yeah, maybe because it's something to watch, I suppose. And there's no, there's no Newcastle, so well, got no choice, have we? So, but yeah, roll on um, Boxing Day when we can get back to normal, or unless like the West Ham game, if that's before then, I don't know, or the League Cup, if we're still in it. We're recording this before the Crystal Palace game, so we don't know yet. We'll see. We'll definitely see. But in going back towards Kevin Gallagher. Doing very well in the media. He has done for a, a few years now in terms of um, that transition from not being a player but still being in the game. And he is very, very good. And it, it has to be said, he's been on a number of different uh, media outlets over the years. But in terms of his footballing ability, I love what you mentioned there, Sam, because it just reminds me of what a person in the Northeast is all about hard work, endeavour, you know, the willingness to do well. and not not giving up, just the, the small things that we take for granted, if you like. No, it's the small things that make a big difference and what Newcastle fans always appreciate. I mean, we'll talk about the ovation he got when he got subbed off in his last game. Um, not many players get an ovation like that, especially when they've only been there two seasons, scored, what, four goals for the club. But it, it was he deserved every single um, round of applause he got that day. Um and it kind of set us up. His his time at Newcastle kind of set us up 
for what was to come with the team. So Bobby was building and that led to the Champions League, which, you know, will 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 this similar period under Eddie Howe, will that lead us now to the Champions League? Who knows? It's probably a bit too soon still to tell. But either way, it, it queued up an exciting time and hopefully we're on the cusp of another one. Well, we are in another one. Let's face it, it's, it's way more exciting than what it was the past few years, isn't it? Oh, that's easy, easy. But yeah. in regards to in regards to Kevin Gallagher, he's played for Shearer, mm. and I'm sure you have a a lot to say about Alan Shearer, a lot to say about Sir Roy Robson, a lot to say about Newcastle United right now. And Sam, say about Carl Court, Carl Court as well. Yeah, there's a bit of a story about him recently. I think he's an Uber driver at the minute. So that makes me sad. Footballers are just normal people, Sam. They need to earn a living. It's like. Um... This is before your time, but um, during Keegan's time, um, we had a player on trial called Rodney Jack. Um, small guy, he was a forward, and he went well, on Jack. Rodney Jack. Dave. No, what? <laughs> you don't get the joke, do you? No. What have I missed? All right, Dave. 2022, get a life. But no, we had Rodney Jack. And um, we didn't sign him, but um, he he went on and had a fantastic period at Crew Alexandra. And um, like soon after, he was like a cult hero. Like for, he was for Crew, what like Catspire and Esprit were to us, right? And then like a couple of years down the line after he'd retired and whatnot, and this is like, He's like working in the Aldi and crew. It just, it just makes me feel sad. Yeah, but you've got to keep the main footballers on footballs forever. Because they would be no, doing what? all the life of the could. I don't know. It makes me sad. Oh, don't get sad, man. Life's, life's too short. Life's too short, man. You've got to... People have got to move on. They should be looked at. They should be looked at. I mean, it makes it sound like like a like a petting zoo or something, or like a dog yeah. charity. But like, I just think there should be some more like support out there for um, aftercare, if you like. Yes, quite. Yeah, potentially. I think that's a different debate on a different podcast, but maybe so. It might be something we can discuss on the TV itself. But, I don't know. You, um, you brought it up. <laughs> or did you? Or did I? I don't know. No, I brought did. Rodney you Jack did. up. <laughs> oh, yeah, and I brought Carl Court up as well, didn't I? Sorry. Did, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Shall we do emails? <laughs> it's email time. Tell us a yes. Um, do keep sending us your emails here on the Greenwood and Mulliner Show podcast. Um, the email address is info at newcastlefanstv.com. That's info, I-N-F-O, at Newcastle Fans TV, or one word, dot com. And we've had an email in from Stephen Taylor. Not that one. But um, he says, just want to say, hi, lads, just want to say a massive thank you to, uh, to you and the rest of the team for the incredible job you all do. Ah, oh, thank you. You produce fantastic content week in, week out. It's always a delight to watch and listen, and there's very little bad language. I mean, the last two weeks will like completely. <laughs> Apologies about and Raul and Troy. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm really excited for more content and seeing the channel NFTV grow bigger and better. Massive thanks for all your hard work. You guys are awesome. 
Stephen from Cambridge. So it's not that Stephen Taylor, but Johnny, thoughts? Well, thank you very much, Stephen. I do appreciate. We do appreciate it. Um, I, 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 I like. Like, what's the word? I like the recognition we get as a channel because it is it, it is a nice sort of reminder that we because this is just something. This is just a hobby. If we could get paid for this, Sam, that'd be mint. But this is just a this is just a hobby, and we, we really do enjoy doing. Do we eat at Casa San Lorenzo, by the way? Yes, we do. <laughs> But in all seriousness, um, yeah, who would have thought this sort of podcast would do as well as it has done? And obviously, NFTV has grown from, you know, when I first started four years ago on NFTV, it's grown 20,000 subscribers. That, like, that's mental. Absolutely mental. We've got new owners. Newcastle playing really well. So, yeah, thank you very much because it's just a nice little reminder that we, we're doing all right, Sam. And, you know, like who would have thought your your little idea in twenty twenty is still going strong in twenty twenty two and early twenty twenty three. Yeah, I know. We've got to move on because I don't do well with praise. I know, but sometimes you can just it makes say thank you. Very Stephen. uncomfortable. Just say thank you, Stephen. Really appreciate the thank the you, Stephen people. Taylor. Not that one. There you go. Oh, thank you, Stephen Taylor, for coming on last year. Cheers. It might be that's Stephen Taylor, but he's just living in Cambridge. Have, this is a con- conspiracy theory. What, he swapped Dubai for Cambridge? Cambridge. Um, Cambridge, I'm sure, is lovely. I've never really been to Cambridge, I've got to be honest. Maybe he moved there after they beat us in the FA Cup. Maybe. Glory supporter. Mm, getting on the bandwagon. Should their, their, their striker that day who scored the winning goal, didn't he support Newcastle? He did. Ironside was what he was called. I forget his first name. Was it, oh, that's great. That's great memory. If that's true, should we try and get him on the podcast? There's a little exclusive. I did at the time try, but it didn't happen. Should just try again. Yeah, probably should. Is he still at Cambridge? Stay tuned for next week's episode of the Green and Moment Show, where you will find out if he is still at Cambridge United. What on the, podca- on the podcast do. intro? Yeah, yeah, we'll do that on the next podcast intro because I haven't got a Scooby Doo. I'm sure it was Ironside, but I forget his uh, first name. But uh, I'm always going with the goalkeeper because he was just he probably gave it a big enough when the one was fair enough. You know, little old Cambridge beating Newcastle. That'll be the biggest win of his goal. life. Yeah, but I forget what it was called. I think he's saying he got me the V. That's all I can remember. Um, um, but yeah, I remember him giving the biggie, the biggie, the bigger. Um, talking about things going well in terms of a Newcastle point of view, not the fact that we... Well, we don't know if they are because we're during a World Cup now. No, but just in general, just in general, because it's been 12 months since the takeover pretty much, and Mm -hmm. we've not really spoke about it much on the podcast intros recently. Could we have asked for much more in terms of the whole football clubs, the whole football club in the last 12 months, Sam? Or do you think this was actually the bare minimum Bare minimum, Jesus. Uh, no, I don't think we could have asked for much more. I've got to put this down. If you're watching this intro on YouTube, then I'm. I'm it looks like you're vaping. No, it does look like I'm vaping, but I'm not because I don't do that, and I just don't smoke. It's, do you know what it is? It's it's the day before Halloween as we record this, 
And today we've been making spooky cookies and I've got one of these squeezy ice icing tubes and I'm essentially just like sucking the rest of that out. You're vaping a cookie thing. No, it's icing. So you're vaping icing. No, I'm not vaping icing because icing is not a gas. <laughs> Go back to my question and answer it. What was it? Oh, could we? Um, yeah. Um, no, we couldn't have hoped for much more this soon. It's um, it's it, it, the whole thing's escalated very, very quickly. Some would say too quickly. You'd call it off. Is it? Is but, it too quick? No. Because steady um, progress it was meant to be, wasn't it? It was going to be an eighth place finish or a ninth place finish this year. Maybe you're think... in conference league the year after. I think we'd be. I think we're going to finish seventh. Oh, really? Yeah, which would be conference league, wouldn't it? If I offered you seventh right now, would you take it? No, because I want to watch us play football some more. I think seventh. I think seventh minimum. And then you look at. I seriously do need to put this down. Sorry, everyone. Um, If you look at Liverpool which I don't like to do often because I can't stand them, but I am at the moment because they're doing rubbish. So I am looking at them. They've got to book their ideas up to, to get top six. Um, I don't know. Can we keep hold of our players? We're going to need more than Vernon and Anita to add at the end of this season. So um I don't know that we're still we're still a couple of transfer windows away, but it's all going very well, and I'm delighted. And there's a tremendous um, feel good factor, or as Lee would say, good feel factor um, around, <laughs> around around the place. So yeah, it, the good times are back, and we're at this nice kind of junction where the expectation of the fan base isn't completely there yet, but and it's still just a bit like. <gasps> What's this? We're winning games all the time. What's this feeling? Oh, we might lose. No, we're going to win. It's amazing. Isn't this great? So, um, yeah, we're in a nice, we're in a good place. There is a good feel factor, as Lee said. Proper, wicked, good feel factor. Something like that. Mm. I don't know if that was my impression of Lee Lawler, but anyway, good evening to you or good morning or good afternoon whenever you're listening to this, Mr. Lawler. Um, yeah, it's been a tremendous 12 months and hope if the next 12 months are any good is what we've witnessed so far in terms of the men's team, the women's team, you know, the signings, the city. I was speaking to a taxi driver not long ago and he, he's lived in Newcastle for 19 years and he's never seen the area so happy all the time. Like It's just ridiculous and that's just because of the football club being, being incredible at the minute. It is the place to be. You cannot get a ticket to watch Newcastle United at the minute. It's absolutely ridiculous. Well, I can. It's who you know what, not what you know, Samuel, isn't it? Well, no, if you couldn't, I could have got my own. But <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Well, anyway, let's get this podcast up and running because it is a good one. So, Brian Robson's first ever signing. You lucky people on the Green and the show. So that, let's get this uh, podcast up and running. So this is the Greenwood and Mulliner Show, and it is with Kevin Gallagher. The Greenwood and Mulliner Show on Newcastle Fans TV. 
Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Newcastle Fans TV. Uh, no Jonathan Greenwood this week. He is otherwise engaged, but I am delighted to be joined by a man who represented his country over 50 times, a man who's played in the UEFA Cup final, scoring against a little-known team called Barcelona along the way, represented Scotland in three major tournaments, and is a legend in Newcastle United pub quiz folklore because of the fact, Kevin Gallagher, you were Sir Bobby Robson's first ever signing for Newcastle United. Welcome along to the show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm actually not going to start with Newcastle, Kevin. I'm going to start with the international aspect because there's a World Cup round the corner, despite it being October, November. You represented your country in France 98. You played against a fantastic Brazil side. Is representing your country in a World Cup the pinnacle? For me, yeah. I mean, I had a dream as a kid. I played in mum and dad's back garden, a bit of grass, some rope I had to duck and dive under and things like that, and made up goals. Uh, I used to use my dad's shed as a one-two to play off as as a teammate. And I always beat England in the semi-final of the World Cup, and it was Scotland-Brazil final. Uh, that was for me for many years. It's the way it always seemed to pan out in the back garden. And little did I know, and behold, in December '97, uh, we got a, a World Cup draw for France, '98. And lo and behold, Scotland drew Brazil. And there you go, Kevin Gallagher's dream was starting to become true. And the unfortunate side was, uh, yes, it was at a World Cup, but it wasn't the World Cup final. Uh, but for me, just to do that was that to me was something special. You know, as a young kid, you want to represent your country. You want to represent your country at the highest level. Um, and I, I, fortunately enough, I managed to do that. Yeah, I, I remember the tournament pretty well. And you say you were playing against Brazil. You shared the pitch that day with some absolute legends. I know you were up the other end of the pitch worrying about Roberto Carlos, Aldair, Cafu, Cesar Sampaio, Junior Baiano, but... <laughs> Uh, they had some pretty uh, mightily impressive attacking players. What do you remember from that day and sharing the pitch with these Brazilian legends? Oh, it was unbelievable. You know, it's we could probably paint a pitch on the whole day. It's it's one of those things when when we when we initially withdrew them and we were actually going to to Saint Denis and we were going to be the first national team to to wear the full regalia kilt. Uh, and go and, and, and show the international setup that, that we were there. We're not men in skips. We were actually there to, to put in a, a battle. And that was our battle cry. And to go and uh, found out before the game that we weren't allowed to warm up on the pitch was a big disappointment as for a massive event that was there. And you were going to be in front of billions of people. You were excited about it, but you were like, well, where am I going to warm up? And we were stuck in a room behind the changing rooms and, you had to put your trainers on, you couldn't put your boots on. So you never had the chance to go out and, and get a feeling and a grasp in the grass and have a look at the support and, and have a look at the Brazilian players at a closer hand. The first time you get seen of them, we were actually, we'd done more sprint work down the, the tunnel and the kind of door separates the main tunnel at San Denis from the opposite side. And you could just get a glimmer of the gold Brazilian jerseys and you're just thinking... Like, who's that and who's that? It could have been the kit man, anyone. And just when we went out to line up, that's when you knew that the realism of the whole thing was was starting to hit you because you were lining up and you're looking along the line and 
you know, you, you, you named a few there, you know, and you got Tafarel, you know, Cafu, as you said, Roberto Carlos, Aldair, Junior Baiano. Um, then you, you go to the big hitters, the Rivaldos, the Ronaldos, you know, and, and you're getting these guys and you're thinking, oh my God, I'm playing in the same pitch as these guys. Do I merit it? And yes, we did. And we just, as an international setup, we, I think we should uh, believe in ourselves a little bit more. That was the most disappointing thing, I think, to the lads. We didn't believe that we were a top, top international side. And we were. That's why we got to that competition. And But just to take a pitch in the atmosphere, it was phenomenal. And I think we got caught. We hadn't lost a set piece the whole campaign, uh, which was very unusual. And within, I think, I, mean, I can't remember, four minutes or whatever it was, they scored from a set piece. And it was like, whoa, what's happening here? Scotland don't lose goals like that. And and it was a lapse of concentration and one or two guys not picking up the men at the right time, the move or whatever. But we thought, oh no, this could be it. This, we could be on the end of a hammering. But we weren't. We held our own. We had our chances. We didn't take them. We created opportunities. And then, of course, uh, we had a magnificent piece of play in the box and I had a magnificent Tom Daly expression and took a nice dive to the ground because I didn't think it was going to reach the ball and looked at the referee and he casually pointed to the spot and who else to take it but we John Collins, you know, he's cooling a cucumber and I had a scratch on my head because I was thinking, am I hitting the penalties now? And I looked round but we John was peacocking, ball under the arm, chest stuck out and real brash and cool as any and I thought, well, he, he looks cool. I'd rather he hit it than me anyway at the moment and he did, he went up and, and got us back in the game and that gave us the belief we we scored against Brazil, we've got an opportunity and we did. And unfortunately, it was a freak goal that there was an equaliser, an equaliser, the, the second goal for them. And Tom Boyd and Colin Henry tried his hardest to, to smash the goalpost and kick the goals away as much as he could. Didn't work. And we went 2-1 down and we basically looked at it and thought we were so unlucky there. Uh, but that's the difference between them world champions and Scotland. Yeah, they were quite good, weren't they? <laughs> they were pretty they were good. All right. They were all but, right. To be fair, that 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 Scotland team, I, I remember it, it well. Um, ninety eight and ninety six when I was growing up. You're ninety six as well, in particular. That was like because football for England didn't really exist between ninety two and ninety four. That's just that just that didn't happen. <laughs> but uh, you're ninety six. One of the first, well, the first major international tournament I remember and football coming home. I'm guessing for a proud Scotsman like yourself and that Scottish team, it was absolutely horrendous, wasn't it? You had to get this in, didn't you? Because of the well, guys, I think. Yeah. No, it was. No, but to be fair, it, it wasn't. You know, for me personally, on a personal note, you know, I lived in the Midlands just round through where our training ground was with Scotland. So when, because I was at Blackburn now, going back to see the old neighbours, they were coming to watch Scotland and they were in support of Scotland as well. So, like, even though they were all England supporters, they were wanting Scotland to do well in a campaign and, and possibly qualify along with Scotland. And it was great to see your neighbours there and, and you're in a different, you're in a, an environment that you don't normally see them in. And and that was the thing. And they're, 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 like, talking to you and all of a sudden you've got an Ali McCoyst and Gary McAllister, John Collins. You get all these guys and they're looking at and 
they're supposed to be talking to you, but they're not. They're actually just blanking you, and, and they're just like, oh, can you introduce me to that? And it's just, it was amazing, and I enjoyed it. Uh, it was probably a campaign that, for me, was a turning point because I was coming back from a broken leg, a ruptured hamstring, trying to get my body back into shape from from breaking it two years earlier. So just to to get into that squad for me was was just unbelievable. And uh, to start the campaign uh, was was just phenomenal. And you know I didn't even think I would get a look in, uh, but that we went there and, and we had the belief that we could get something out of it. And that was even against England and. Just again, it's circumstances, different things, and England had points to prove because of the what was it, the, the dentist chair situation. And then, if there's one player that you want to lose a Scotland England game to, is probably the best player. And we did. I mean, to Gaza was that was phenomenal touch. To not many people actually sat Colin Hendry in their backside. Mm. Uh, let's be be honest. Uh, and he did it. He did it with aplomb, and not only that, we got one of the best goalkeepers at the time, and Andy Gorham, and, and he slotted it past the goalie. And uh, unfortunately for us, that was it. You know, we had more opportunities. Uh, I think we, we had the penalty. We had uh, chances galore. I think Christian Daly had a chance as well, and it was saved near the game as well. But we had an opportunity, but again, it went down to relying on England beating Holland for us. If if we could beat the Swiss then England beat Holland, then we could qualify and England let us down, didn't they? So it was disappointing. That's the side of it. You, you just can't rely on England, could we? No, not at all. No, no, not absolutely battering the Dutch. No, whatever happened there. But I mean, I, I suppose the World Cup's around the corner and I and I ask because it's it's obviously a, a very different time of year to have a World Cup. But I, are you looking forward to the World Cup? Because I've got to be honest, I'm not. It might be different when it starts and it gets underway, but it just seems a bit of an inconvenience, particularly with Newcastle doing so well at the moment. I think I'm not ready for the World Cup, I must admit. Uh, my head's not around international football because it's still in club football at the moment. Uh, and I'm still looking at club positions, league tables and, and getting head around things like that. So for the, the World Cup to be so close and on the doorstep, it, it, is, it is very, very strange. Uh, to be in November when it's now starting to get dark nights, dark mornings, and you're going into the World Cup, it's, it's not the same. It just doesn't feel the same. Uh, but I'm very much like yourself. I think when it kicks off, uh, I'll get into it a little bit more and more. And I'm sure the lads at work in that will all have a, a, a wee stake on different things happening. Uh, obviously, I'll be supporting England, uh, uh, opposition, I should say. Uh, That's and, what uh, I was waiting for. That's why I did <laughs> yeah, I, uh... I was just going to delay that a little bit longer. Yeah. No, no, to be fair, I, I like the home nations to do well. You know what I mean? And I, I just hope they can go far, but uh, Wales won it and not England. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I'm not going to bite. But... <laughs> Um, so you joined, as I say, you joined Newcastle under Sir Bobby Robson, the first ever signing. And he, he said um, as well, you were the best pound for pound signing he made at Newcastle United. That's got to feel good with an absolute legend of the game like Sir Bobby speaking about you like that. It is. It's, it's a kind of weird one as well. Uh, you know, it was one of them. It's I was at Blackburn for, for eight, nine years. 
and they've been relegated and basically my heart was set in getting them back out of relegate or out championship and back to the Premier League but things we haven't seen eye to eye with Brian Kidd at the time and it was kind of disheartening because I'd gone from first choice striker at Blackburn in the Premier League to fifth choice striker in the championship and it frustrated me so something I'd never really done was going and chopping the manager's door and I was forever doing it at Blackburn now and from when that happens it's you're probably better getting out but I never seen a way out I didn't want a way out I wasn't advertising for a way out and all of a sudden this phone call from out the blue came uh, would you want to sign for Newcastle and uh I was like, wow, but it all stemmed. And I'll just tell you the the, the original story for Sam because it's more meaningful. Brian Kidd, we played Walsall and uh, I was absolutely knackered. Done everything, Bar scored the goal, trying to get a new contract, up the contract at Blackburn. And Brian Kidd uh, basically told me lies. He basically said, oh, I spoke to Jack Walker and we've got a new contract there for you. He didn't tell me it was at Newcastle United. That was the downside of it. So uh, that's how it all began. Uh, he basically told me uh, that Blackburn were talking about a new contract. I thought, good, that's not too bad. And within three days, uh, Newcastle United phoned me and said, would you like to come up to Newcastle? And uh, Bobby Robson's first signing. And to be fair, uh, I never thought twice about it. You know, uh, I just went, spoke to the wife and says, jumping in a car. And that was it. We were on our way to Newcastle. Uh, my agent was already up there discussing things. And I remember, we I think we approached Scotch Corner and I turned on uh, BBC Newcastle and apparently had signed. I hadn't even reached Newcastle, but I'd signed. So how the news got out that fast, I do not know. But uh, the news had spread that, that I had signed for, for the football club. And, you know, so I think it made it a little bit easier when I, when I arrived at Durham. Uh, for the training and things and, and met the manager then I went to the ground obviously signed contracts and things and, and get it done legally and um, get all your medicals done and things and, and when that all passed it was uh, done and dusted and try and settle into a new environment speak to the manager and try and understand what my job would be because when you've got a Duncan Ferguson and a, an Alan Shearer a Tamuri Ketspire Silvio Maric and, and you've got all these guys and you're thinking, oh my God, these are these are top players and I'm, and where is he going to play me? Am, am I going to get a game? And these things then start going through your head. Have I done the right thing? Am I going to be, what have I done? I might not get a game now. And it was just one of those things, but <clears throat> I understood the role that he explained to me. And that was basically go in, mix in with the guys, but get the club mixed up because there was a lot of cliques at the club at the time. Uh, South Americans weren't mixing with the British, the British weren't mixing with the Europeans, the Europeans weren't mixing and it was a whole, it was all over the place and you wouldn't see it unless you were inside the football club and I seen it when it was a derby match when Ruth Hullett didn't play Alan Shearer and I knew there was something definitely up inside the club even though nobody's coming out but when I went up there uh, a few months later under Sir Bobby you could wow, you could see what was wrong with that club and we went in and there was a wee guy called Nobby Solano wee Nobby was brilliant what a man he was he wanted to be British you know, the king of Peru was wanting to be British which was kind of strange and 
within me going in there and, and I don't know what it was that the manager wanted, whether it was my work rate, whether it was my talent or or just to be part and, and, and mix things around, I don't know. Uh, and all of a sudden things started to, to change. We started to find out things in the dressing room and all of a sudden the manager was getting rid of certain players uh, very, very quickly. And we started establishing a team that he wanted to do and uh, get us back in winning ways because... I remember, it was, I think it was after about the second or third game and I went to the table and we were down near the bottom. And then I thought, oh, I've been brought into a relegation battle. Just take me back to my Coventry days now. So it was a, a nightmare. So I knew basically I had a, a lifeline by playing back in the Premier League. But I was also playing in a team that were fighting relegation, shall we say. And uh, I think the work rate style that I had rubbed off on one or two younger players that the manager was wanting to rub off on. And one or two European players, uh, that was an example he wanted to show to them was was me. And and I was learning off the other lads as well. Uh, and I was picking up what Newcastle was all about. I was learning something new because by far the biggest club I played at, uh, when you play at Dundee United and they've got, I don't know, 15,000 we played in front of. Then I go down to Coventry, you know, was, I think it was 23,000 or something. And then... A Blackburn, there was 27,000 because we were in the dizzy heights. Yes, we were Premier League champions, but we're still 27,000. But then when you go to St James's Park and you realise what Newcastle's about and why it's black and white, because when you won, it's black. When you when you lose, it's white. They'll tell you. <laughs> they, they tell you you're good. They'll tell you the bad. It's as simple as that. And you've just got to learn to live and, and learn to get on with the people. And, and that's what I did. And with me... I just wanted to work hard. And I think I probably, for about 15 games, worked too hard because I couldn't score a goal. I couldn't hit a barn door. And I think the fans must have been wondering, what have, what have we signed here? But having played as a front man for about seven years, all of a sudden, Sir Bobby wanted me to play wider again. And it was it was difficult for me to, to, to keep that roller coaster of scoring goals on a regular basis. And I just enjoyed the football and the camaraderie that I had and the partnerships I had with Shearer, Ferguson, Gary Speed, Rob Lee in that area and, and even people like Didier Domi. You know, I'd, I'd never seen anybody run as fast as that man. And you just think he was always injured. And you just think, why? Because this guy is phenomenal. Then you had younger players like Aaron Hughes coming in as a left back and a right back and um, Andy Griffiths, you know, playing in the full back areas. You know, and you're thinking, it's just a whole new experience. But once you, you understood what the the club was about, <clears throat> you understood what the town was about and, and that was a key thing to it. Yeah, you just didn't play for the football club, you played for the whole of Newcastle. Absolutely. And I think you summed it up perfectly there and that's why the Newcastle fans, I think, took to you pretty much straight away. I know you said you didn't, you basically did everything but score, but I think it's that word, what what Newcastle fans love is work uh, work rate, commitment, the right attitude. And and you you epitomise that in in absolute bucket loads. But you mentioned the players there: Shearer, Solano, Gary Speed, uh, Shea Given. And then on the other side of the dressing room, there was like Cordone and there was some interesting folk as, as well. Very who did you, interesting. 
who, who did you kind of uh, gravitate towards to and who were the players that you think uh, were like, why are you here? <laughs> well, obviously, I'm going to gravitate towards the guys that I know, the Duncan Fergusons, the Alan Shearers, you know, and you're getting mixed in amongst that. And with me, <clears throat> I got involved with like Warren Barton, Rob Lee, Gary Speed, and it was through Gary that I learned to play the guitar and things like that. Went to the same guy that was, that was teaching Gary or, or started to teach Gary uh, so I went there to, to start learning and, and, and do things like that. And, you know, and it, it was trying to find out how these guys lived in Newcastle compared to the way that, that I lived in the Northwest. And, you know, and, and it was just mingling in with them. And, and as I said, you got Solano. But we got, a, when I went in, and we seemed to get a close-knit group of people. And Warren Barton was our, basically a social convener. Uh, we used to call him Busy Barton because he, he always had something social on and. And that's what we've done. But we involved the wives, the partners, and that's what we did. So we were never, very occasionally, we went out as a team with just ourselves. It was always with the wives and the partners. So you got to know people. You got to know about their family life as well. And and I think that side of it, I'd never been to a football club, but really that had happened. The players just normally used to go out and, and then the occasional one or two of you were mated up and, and you met their wives and you went out for a meal and things. So... With Newcastle, it was, it was ever so friendly that way. And I think that side of it uh, made you hungrier because you wanted to work for those people uh, and you were playing aside. And, and then I played alongside Alan for, what, three or four seasons. And so I knew that I couldn't do anything wrong because I did. He would have a bollock at you, like, you know. But <laughs> I knew that if he'd done something wrong, you could bollock him back and he would take it. And Because we'd done it at Blackburn and, and that's why we were successful. So... I think that part of it, I think Sir Bobby wanted that other side of it. Can we get a little bit of hunger and desire out of people? And and that's what we did. But as you said, you mentioned Daniel Cardoni and, and Daniel came over and it kind of pushed me out of position in my second season. Uh, and it was it was so funny because we, we used to, when we trained, I, we used to train at Durham and we used to take our kit off and leave it in the, the pile in the middle. So it was shirts, shorts slips, socks, whatever, and your boots and the kit man would take them away, wash them, come back the next day and you go and pick a kit up. Like I think the kit was dwindling down. I think Newcastle United must have about a million fans in Argentina because Daniel <laughs> Cardone's been sending all the training kit back to them and it was really weird. He was just filling up his bag. He'd just get his bag open and just put all the stuff in the bag and that was him off the training and you're like, what is he doing? He's just nicked all the training kit. <laughs> and next day you were running short of training kit and you wonder what was happening. And it was just a very strange character. And I mean, it's, it was really weird, but fantastic little footballer, but uh, just a weird character and, and, and the mannerisms of, of what he did when he came over. And no need to steal it. You know, you can afford it now. But no, he was taking the kit back to Argentina. It seems like Newcastle, at Newcastle, we always have to have a bit of a nutter. It, it doesn't matter what what era we're we're in. We just have to have a bit of a nutter, whether it's Cordona, Catspire, Espria, Ben Arthur. What we just, we just need. It, 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 I think it's it's just something we have to have. But yeah, yeah. That, there was a few. But I can't imagine like when you've got Alan and and Big Dunk in a dressing room. I can't imagine they'd stand for for much um, poor attitude from from the South American contingent. No, there's ways you've got to do it, though. You can't go around and physically bully people and then do things like that. And you go around and wind people up and, 
and character things, you'll test them out in training. You maybe kick them a little bit harder and you would your teammate that's doing well. So there's all there's there's all little things that you, you can you fish out on on the players and, and that's what you've done, you know, and you tried them out, you tried to get to know them, they didn't want to know you. And you're thinking, well, that's kind of strange then. So what are you doing here? So these guys quickly, I noticed, quickly got found out with Sir Bobby. And unfortunately for them, they got sold on uh, because they, they didn't have a, a work rate that he merited that should be in his Newcastle United side. Yeah. I mean, when you signed for us, you were, you were in your, your early 30s, early to mid 30s and experienced pro, Premier League winner. But did Sir Bobby teach you anything new, perhaps, about the game that you didn't maybe realise before or appreciate before? Oh, definitely. You know, I wish, and, and the big thing was, working under Sir Bobby was fantastic. Uh, don't get me wrong. Uh, I just wish it had been 10 years earlier hmm. for his age. Uh, his enthusiasm at his age that he was at, and he was in his 70s at that, the early 70s at the time. Uh, but his enthusiasm for the game, the knowledge of the game and how he could help you. You could ask him things and, and he, he would come back with things. You know, you, you wound him up, he wound you up. It's, he was good that way. He was a people person. But you knew if you were going to cross the line, you knew if you crossed the line or not. That was the thing about him. But the thing that introduced me to it was the fact is that he got me in really, him and Mick Wadsworth at the time, got me into doing coaching. And going out the coaching license, and I started doing the coaching license with Rob Lee, and we were doing that in Durham. And that passed about a time for me because when you're living on your own and your family's in the northwest, it's sometimes just a little bit lonely. So doing these coaching licenses were fantastic for me. So basically, uh, they, him and Mick, was what really introduced me into that side of it, and that gave me a more game understanding than uh, and I would say to anybody now and I do I tell people try and learn coaching at an early age where it's level one just the basic learn coaching and you'll understand the game a lot better of why these coaches are putting on these exercises for you because a lot of people now don't understand why they put on a, a passing drill when you go oh it's boring I can do that I can pass from A to B but they're not understanding the concepts of it all uh, the warming up of the muscles, etc., and that, and and those things were the, the days. It was dead simple, but for what he did, getting me into coaching was was a good side of it. So, and watching him, watching Mick Wadsworth, and Mick being an FA coach as well, you, you kind of got an understanding of the English FA and how that happened. So, for me, it was my first stepping stone really into the coaching scene as well. Just to pick on something uh, you said there about um, your family stayed in the Northwest. There's, we hear a lot about players maybe not wanting to move up to the Northeast, being so far away from the Northwest or London or whatever. Was it's very often we get to hear it from the players themselves and to to really appreciate the kind of human aspect of things of, of family life and just how. How much of a maybe not a blow it was it that your family didn't come with you to the northeast? But why wasn't that? Was it because you were just so settled in the northwest, being at Blackburn so long? Well, when it all, as I said, when when we kind of got the grasp that, that I would believe in Blackburn, uh, we had uh, my daughter was not long born, uh, mm. my youngest daughter Kiara. And it was a case of my wife had said, "Well, 
you're trying to think what it was, and 33, you're 33 years old. Um, if we moved now, like it's going to be hard coming back, or if we move now, lock, stock, and barrel, or we're going to live up in Newcastle, which would be quite difficult uh, circumstances. So we decided to kind of have a house in Newcastle and I had a house back in the northwest. So I lived during the week in Newcastle and at the weekends I could get home. Uh, but because we were so social, I found that my wife, she came to the home games, we just stay in Newcastle because <laughs> we get we had the babysitter, we had everything organised. And as I said, we, we, the, the, the lads and the wives were, were very social. So we were out and we met the lads and we met wives. And, and for me, that was important for my wife. And it put her at ease for when she went back in the, the Sunday evening or the, the Monday morning when I went to training, she would go back down the northwest with the children. So from that, uh, it, would work, it worked well. Uh, and I think when you get injured in the second season, that was the hardest because I couldn't get back as much because I had to be in for treatments. Mm. And that was the downside. Uh, but the season before where... I was flying and things were going really well. I found, and I kind of worked out, I sat and worked out, that's how sad I was. I sat and worked out. I think I was back, practically back in Blackburn more than I was up in Newcastle that season. Um, and that it was incredible. But the times I was up in Newcastle were the key times because it was the social times out with the, the, like the players and the wives and, it was it was all the good times. So it wasn't like I was missing out on anything and avoiding the lads and avoiding the town. I was there at the right times, and we could on a Tuesday. Nobody's going to miss me on a Tuesday when you're not training, and and little things like that. So I was back home on a Monday night. Tuesday I was back in Blackburn, and Wednesday morning I was back up in in Newcastle training again and, and living again. So it, it worked out really well. Uh, and as I said to the manager at the time, I said to Sir Bobby, I says, look, if it's if it's holding me back or you feeling it's holding me back, please tell me. I says, because then obviously we'll have to seriously think about the way that I'm living. But the way that I lived anyway, you know, I lived in a hotel for three months with Kieran Dyer, uh, Carl Saran, uh, Fumaka. Uh, oh, my God. Oh, I believe I'm, he's, he's centre half as well. What's his name? Oh, my God, I got in touch with him as well from Portugal. Oh, Helder. Helder. Um, and you didn't have a tell, and we were just having a laugh all the time, but it was, like, too much at times. You just had to escape players. But it was great fun. You know, you were there, you are bored, pick up the phone, right, meet you in the foyer, go down, game of cards, lose a, lose a bit of money, back to your bed sulking, put the telly back on again, and... Then it was down for room service, and, and it was it was brilliant. It was a good three months, but I must admit, uh, when I got the house, and at times you're on your own, you could actually switch off and do things, and I really enjoyed it. And I think my game flourished a little bit better, and I started relaxing into it as well. And uh, I think that's when I got my first goal as well against Sheffield United. So from that point of view, uh, it helped me relax into to Newcastle better. What was Famaka like at Cards? Rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, it was only it was only snap. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, he's pretty rubbish on the field as well. To be fair, bless. Him. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you mentioned um, injuries, Kevin. Obviously, you had your fair share and, and someone else's share as well. You, 
horrifically unlucky with injuries throughout your career. Two broken legs. <laughs> How hard is it? Not just like physically, but but mentally. Because I, I I think of Newcastle just signing Alexander Isak, club record signing, two goals in three games, bang, injured, missed the World Cup. How, how does that affect a pro mentally? Oh, massive. Uh, uh, I, <clears throat> I came to Blackburn to to help Blackburn push back up the league in their first season in the Premier League. Uh, and a certain Alan Shearer had done a cruise ship. So we're waiting on Alan coming back. So it was kind of in not to replace him, but in to replace him for the time being. Um, and I went in with Mike Newell. We had to off. We got us up to fourth and they finished in fourth on the table. And thought, wow, I'm looking forward to this guy Shearer coming because I watched him on the telly and all the hype that went with a 3.3 million move to Blackburn. I was really looking forward to it. He was a nice guy and I was thinking, he's a great fella and that. Like, and we need him in the team. Everybody wanted him in the team. It was really, really strange. and It was one of them. We are just waiting to get him back. And, and when Alan came back in, it was who was going to play with him. Was it going to be Mike Newell? Would it be myself? You know, and unfortunately, it was myself. And we were starting to to basically steamroll and, and, and hit teams now and, and show them what we were made of. Um, and we went down to, to Highbury and unfortunately that was a fateful day. Uh, we were causing them all sorts of problems. Uh, and then I just remember a, a long throw, Alan flicking it on and I've gone to volley it. Next thing I know, I'm in the hospital uh, with a broken leg. And at that moment, you know, I knew I'd done something because you just don't move, you know, and this is a learning thing. Like you roll over when you get kicked and they do four and five rolls, you know, they're not injured. You know, they're kidding on because when you're injured, you do not move. Your body goes into a shock and it tells you like, if you move at all, you're going to feel pain. That's what happened to me. So I was there and unfortunately, and I remember I was on the physio came on as my best mate, Mike Pettigrew and he came on and he was slowly like, what have you done? I says, well, I had a shot and I've caught my leg on something. I don't know what it was, um, but the pain is down my leg. And he didn't know where it was my knee. He didn't know it was my ankle. So he was slowly going down my sock and inside my sock under the shin pad. And Lee Dixon came up. He seen I was in pain and he grabbed my hand and he's like, you're all right, me man. And at that moment, David Seaman says, oh, for God's sake, pull his shin pad off not realising that my shin pad was attached to ankle protectors. And as he went to pull the shin pad off, it was on right on the break. And I think Lee Dixon nearly paid the price of a broken hand um, because David Seaman uh, tried to take a shin pad off, uh, which was the wrong thing to do. And yeah. that's when we realised where it was. Uh, and then the, the procedure was to then try and get me off at Highbury and get me into St John's Ambulance, um, get me off the park, and the fortunate thing, Gary Llewellyn, the, the Arsenal physio at the time, magnificent man, and uh, we got into the home dressing room uh, and they had an x-ray machine in there, which was fantastic, so you can have a quick check. And they did the, the quick check and the doctor says, are you in pain? I was like, yeah. He says, would you like a jab? I says, yes, please. I says, just anything to take this pain away because I've never come across anything of it. And uh, he jabbed me in the backside and then... Um, I thought, oh my God, and he showed me the, the picture and it was a spiral fracture of the tibia, uh, which is, shall we say, a nasty one because it's like a corkscrew. Yeah. 
um, which sometimes when you try and put your leg back together, it springs out. And unfortunately, that's what kept happening to mine at the start. But when I seen that and I thought, okay, right, how long? I'll be back in, I don't know, six weeks. That's what I'll be back. I had my mindset, I had a strong mindset, and I believed that I'm going to be back as soon as possible. Um, and basically, that was it. So the ambulance was waiting outside and, and took me um, to the hospital in London uh, just to get it all clarified and get a, a back slab plaster because they asked me, did I want to stay in London or did I want to go home? Uh, me being me, thought of my family first and said I want to go home. Um, so basically, my wife, she was trying to get a hold, obviously, someone at, at the, the football ground at Arsenal to, to find out how I was. Um, and then, obviously, when we got the news, uh, we got the news back to her and uh, that was it. Uh, the, the team bus picked me up from the, the hospital. Uh, I hobbled onto the team bus up to the back, got my leg up in the back seat, and sat and played cards all the way home. So it was it was <laughs> it was just one of them. It was carry on regardless, really. And that was that was me. That was my day from Highbury of a broken leg. Whose money were you taking with a broken leg? Oh, I I was so doped up in morphine. I don't know if I won or lose. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I had any money. I don't know if I lost a lot of money. I just. I was just playing cards. I was a big smile on my face. And the lads were like, by the way, we got beat today. And I was like, oh, I don't care. I said, no, it, was, it was just so high. But uh, I realised the pain when it wore off in the morning going to the hospital. Yeah. Uh, and you had done some nasty damage. And again, it was at a young child. Uh, we were building a house. Uh, and everything was going against me. So it was, it was kind of uh, not being lucky time, shall we say. But it was one of those times you get a chance to spend time with, with my eldest daughter, you know, but the unfortunate thing, I couldn't move off a sofa. <laughs> so I couldn't walk or crawl about with her. I just sat on the sofa. Why? And then when when you start your rehab, is that at the training ground, like watching all the other lads get ready for games, or is that how does how does that work? Well, the training at the time that we had at Blackburn was basically, it was down next to the Ewood Park. Uh, that's where we were based. Um, so I would go in in the morning. Uh, treatment was nothing because my leg was pinned. So all I had was a back slab. I used to get ultrasound uh, in and around the, the, the break just to try and heat the, the bone up and the calcification and things and look after the leg. But uh, I started basically a one week after the operation. I went back to training. Uh, my wife came to pick me up on the Sunday and I, I took a little funny turn and realised that I was allergic to the tablets I was taking, which was kind of weird because it, it, I've been taking them all week and I thought I'd been the best patient ever. But my wife came in with like a dozen bouquets of flowers for all the different nurses that I'd kind of abused that I didn't <laughs> realise I did. So I kind of paid the price and I had to apologise on the way out when I did realise it all. Uh, and I bought them all flowers and thanked them very much for looking after me and that was it uh, I went home and I said to my wife I said take me to the training ground I want to get into training and that's what she did she took me to training I went in and I spoke to the physio and that and lads were out training and, and basically my programme I could have started right away but uh, I went in on the Monday morning and that was me I started training uh, I was doing single leg squats, 
on one leg. Um, I could I could walk with crutches, so I was gently trying to walk. Uh, but I was in the gym generally. Uh, I never went to watch the guys training because where we trained was out and about in Blackburn, and I couldn't drive, so I couldn't go and watch the guys training. So I would see them for about five minutes in the morning, and then I would probably see them for about an hour when they got back from training, and then that was them. They disappeared, and you were kind of lost to it. But as I always say, there was always good outcomes from things like uh, an injury like that. And the fact was, if I don't break my leg, we don't buy Chris Sutton and we don't win the Premier League. That's the way I look at it now. You're part of it. You help bring another top quality striker to the club. And you're part of a squad that when you do come back, you score a goal and you have a big part of to play in that team. And to win the league with Blackburn was, was special because it was a special club for everybody that was involved in it. And we had a reunion about uh, five years ago or something like that. Uh, and we hadn't seen each other for about 20 years, a lot of the boys. It was unbelievable. And it was like, when are we having more? When are we having more? So, fortunately for me, because I'm part of the Blackburn Rovers Former Players Association, um, I try and get the boys together at times. So, that's coming back up again in 24-25. And that will be our 30th, 30-year anniversary. One in the Premier League, something like that. So it's like wow. It's uh, but it's there, uh, and hopefully I can get something like that put together for the boys. Yeah, that sounds brilliant. I mean, it makes me feel incredibly old. But <laughs> you like won the Premier League. My well, uh, well, the thing is, though, like I got to say it. I mean, time is, is or age is just a thing with time. But someone reminded me that I've actually I actually retired twenty years ago. A couple of days ago. I can't believe it. I can't believe I'm retired 20 years. Wow. It's frightening. It's absolutely frightening. It's 22 years ago since I joined Newcastle. That is, yeah, that, that that's terrifying. Um, going back on to your time at Newcastle, I actually want to talk about um, the last game you played at St. James's Park, um, where I, I think, was it common knowledge that you weren't being offered a new deal? No, not to me. Uh, it did come out, not, I wouldn't say come out, but there was nothing ever mentioned of a new contract. Uh, there was a one-year option that I was hoping that Newcastle would take it up. Uh, okay. But they normally get announced at a certain time. Nothing was getting mentioned. And then about, I think it was about the last six home games left. So there was a few games left. Uh and I think that's when it was common knowledge that people were realising that I wasn't getting a contract, that my contract was up at the end of the season and I was being released. Uh, that was the downside of it. Uh, all I wanted was probably one more season of it because I didn't want to leave with the season that I had, with the few injuries that I had and I was up and down in that season and I wanted to see people, try and show people that final part of what you what you'd done when you settled into a football club and, and that became part of you. But unfortunately, um, lack of communication between myself, probably my agent and the, the management uh, really let it all linger and pass through. And uh, before you know it, the season was finished and it was like you're saying your au revoirs to everybody. Yeah. Well, that, that, it is a shame in essence then how it, how it turned out. But I'm, I'm 
thinking of that Villa game because I remember it quite well, strangely enough. I remember Carl Court scoring a belting header. But um, and and um, uh, David Ginola, who was playing for Aston Villa that day, obviously Newcastle hero, icon, legend, whatever. I think he got booed off for Villa <laughs> that day. But the, re- the, the reception you got, Kevin, despite you playing yourself down in some ways because you had an injury interrupted season or whatever, the reception you got, I think, is a testament to yourself and and the Newcastle fans who were there that day because it just went to show how well you were thought of at Newcastle and just how important uh, the Geordie faithful appreciate your work rate, endeavour, commitment and the attitude you display on the pitch. Um, did you realise at the time the evasion you were getting, were you able to, to, to take it all in or was it just a bit of a blur? A bit of a blur. Uh, I think... I think it was probably the last three or four home games, and the manager, no, it was the last six games, he kept subbing me, and I was getting a little bit peeved off. I'm thinking, why does he keep taking me off? Like, but he was taking me off for a simple reason. It was getting appreciation of the fans, and and those last six games, the last six home games, I'll never ever forget Sam because a standing ovation from forty two thousand people at the time was was unbelievable. Um, the first game. I didn't pay too much attention to. And I thought, well, that's okay. Uh, thanks very much. I'm trying. And you get on with it. But then when, you, when you're coming down and you get to the final game of the season and you actually know you're leaving, uh, the emotion hit me more when I was walking around the park. And you realise that this is the last time you're going to be stepped onto St. James's Park. And these fans have just gave you the biggest, loudest, standing ovation that what a lot of people talk about for a long time and that to me is 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 always in my heart now you know when I go back up and when I was working on the radio and things I used to go to the games and cover Newcastle and things and you think wow it's just getting back up there and and seeing the people again and, and understanding it and the passion the desire and that's what I wanted to repay them with and it does, it worked out equal. They appreciated that and they showed that appreciation for me where me being the humble person that I was and underestimating myself and, and how good I actually was, they appreciated people like me. And that's what I try and tell people. When you go to a club, understand the football club, understand the people. And if you understand them, you'll be a success. And that whether you win anything or not. And that's what's something that I was always told by by my parents and like go and, and work as hard as you can. And if you can come off and look in the mirror and without turning away, just look in the mirror and say, I played really well today. If you can do that, it'll be one in few games that you'll do it. But when you can do that, you've done well, you deserve it. And that's what happens in football. It's with fans. They appreciate people that work hard, they appreciate people with skill and they'll do things but if you don't try hard for that team, doesn't matter how skillful you are, you will get slaughtered at Newcastle and that is it and I think people that don't wake up to that should because it's a big thing and get the fans on your side it's it's a massive welcome when your fans are on your side and I loved it and that, as I said, that final game walking around I done well because I, I tried to be manly and not shed a tear, but it was so emotional because I knew my family were up there and they're saying 
maybe not farewell to to friends that we made over the two years, but you've seen a lot of people. We met, I met a lot of people up in Newcastle, and it was fantastic, and they made you so welcome. It was just a a, a bit of a gutter to actually leave at that time. I mean, Sir Bobby said it best himself. You're exactly what we needed at, at that at that time. It was it was just exactly spot on. Someone a player like yourself. It was brilliant. But um, turning our focus towards modern day Newcastle now, um, when things are going rather swimmingly for a change, can you see any sort of similarities between? Um, the the culture that Sir Bobby built whilst you were there, and the culture around the club that Eddie Howe's building now. Very similar. Eddie Howe's that type of manager. You know, you noticed that at Bournemouth. I noticed that when he came up to the northwest and and, and managed Burnley and struggled, uh, he didn't quite grasp that side of it. But certainly at Bournemouth, he made it a a family homely club, and I think. He, when you understand Newcastle and you understand the size of it and you understand the people, as I said, it's not just a football club. It's a whole of Newcastle you've got to appease as a manager. And I think Eddie's took that side of it. But what eases everything out was the changeover. That's eased it for Eddie. I think had it been under the last regime, it might still be difficult for him. And it might have been difficult for him. But he's, he's having a, what's it, a nice, easy time of going into it but still he has to turn a performance in in the players and he for me is getting the players believing in themselves again and I think being able to go and the world are like looking at them as if he's going out and he's going to be buying uh, Ronaldo, he's going to be buying Messi, he's going to be buying all these guys he never, he's not done that he's bought people that fitted a jigsaw for him at this moment in time and then you have people like Callum Wilson coming back who, you know, are not getting enough credit that they should have got before his injuries. And, and that's it. And they're coming back to form. So little things like that are clicking for them. And sometimes, I mean, I don't know who it was, but sometimes you're better being a lucky manager than a good manager. And at the moment, you've got to do it. And then Eddie Howe's a good manager. He showed that at Bournemouth. And for me, when he has that success at Bournemouth, it's keep that blueprint of that success and he's brought it to Newcastle and he's starting to flourish with the Newcastle side of it and you're just hoping that side of it can continue. And then with the new owners, obviously, we know there's a bit of money behind them that in the future, I'm sure there will be one or two superstars will start coming to Newcastle United when they start climbing that table and teams start noticing again. I mean, before, I mean, well, we may already have one or two superstars with the likes of uh, Bruno Guimaraes in, in, in that team, who's just, there's a bit of a debate among the fan base at the moment between, because I called it pretty early on myself that he was the best midfielder I've ever seen in black and white, but then you get the Rob Lee fan crew <laughs> piping up and yeah. saying, oh, he's no Rob Lee, but it, it's just a brilliant debate to have rather than, looking at the bottom of the table thinking, oh, I hope such and such loses today so we can stay at the bottom three. It's just a complete um, shift in in mentality up there now. But um, with Eddie Howe's coaching ability, there's some players he's got immense improvement out of. Joe Linton, Almiron, Sean Longstaff now. That's a testament to to how you say um, how good a manager Eddie Howe is. 
yeah, uh, that's what it is. And, and it's how he portrays himself on, on the training pitch as well. You know, these guys, footballers will always ask questions no matter who you are, whether you're Sir Alex Ferguson all the way down to the, the bottom league managers. They will always ask questions of that uh, coaching ability and ask things and they'll, they'll, they'll just test you out. And Eddie Howe's done it. He's done it at Bournemouth, you know. So any questions they're going to throw at Eddie Howe, he's a young manager. And still, I don't know, saying a young manager, he's still a young manager mm. in comparison. And But he's a young, experienced guy now. And yes, he had a hiccup, but he's come back and he's took Bournemouth to the top division. Now, hopefully, that he can take Newcastle that one step further in earth and get back into Europe, get up, mix up with the big boys again. And then hopefully... Within a period of time, that dream that we had at Blackburn when I was there under Jack Walker and Kenny Dalglish was Premier League in five years. Now that to me is something that you look at it and you go, could that be? Could Newcastle do something like that? And it could happen. Leicester City have done it. Blackburn yeah. Rovers done it. So why not? You know, and and it's it's down to the players and and them getting it together at the right times and and. As we done it at Blackburn, it was hard work and, and skill that, that got us to the way we wanted to get. So why not the Newcastle now? Because they've got the players that are working hard. They've got the players that are skillful. And they've got players that can score goals at the minute. But not a lot of teams have got players that can score goals. Well, speaking on that, if you just take off your, your Scotland hat, off just very briefly, if you're Gareth Southgate, you have to take Callum Wilson, surely. I would take Callum Wilson, definitely, you know, and they're always going to, there's always going to be question marks with strikers, the different, is he a different striker, is he similar to Harry Kane, is he different from so-and-so, and these are going to be the arguments you're always going to get, uh, but this, the Newcastle side of it, I would say you got to take him, you know, Ivan Tony is Ivan Tony ready, he's a different style of player, would he be worth bringing on? I don't know, because it's going to be stupid heat, 44 degrees or whatever, and would that suit an Ivan Tony compared to a Callum Wilson and the hold up play different styles? I don't know. So Gareth's he'll have a long look, he'll have a chat with the managers, but for me at the moment in the forum that Callum's in as well, he's definitely got a, a good chance as well. You can put your Scotland hat back on now. Um, just uh, yeah, final one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, final one for, for me, Kevin. I've, I've just Time has absolutely flown by. I've thoroughly enjoyed this. Um, what was your favourite moment in a Newcastle shirt? I'm not going to ask you about it in terms of your whole career because you've won the Premier League, not with Newcastle. You've represented your country in major tournaments. But did you have a favourite moment whilst you were up in the North East? I just loved my time in the North East. You know, uh, it was an opportunity to play at a massive football club that I never really had in my career. You know, Blackburn's a big club but and not in supported club, uh, but in the manners of the history of it. It's got great history, but it's a way back in the 50s, a way back in the 20s, and a way back when football first started. So it had a history there. Um, Coventry City had a great history when I went there because they won the Cup in 87. But to go to Newcastle for me, you know, to play at a, a big club, 42,000 fans every week helping you out, Loving you, hating you, helping you along. Uh, for me, that experience for me was was second to none, and that's something I'll always take. Forget about the football. I mean, football secondary. I loved that. I just loved playing football. 
you know, I love playing with the Shearers, the Kitspires, you name it, all these guys. The I just love playing football, yeah. But just having been part of, of Newcastle and part of the society in Newcastle, uh, for me, uh, and it was part of something that because of Bobby Robson and the Newcastle connection with him, uh, being part of that and at the start of it for me was was phenomenal. And that's something I'll always take away with me because I just loved it. I loved my two years up there. Um, I, I had friends up there and, and still do. And it's nice to, to go and speak to them when I get back up occasionally when you're working on radios and, and televisions. But... Uh, no, it's it's always great to get back to St James's Park, and every time I can, I'll, I'll always try. Absolutely. Well, we hope to see you back at St James's Park very soon, Kevin. It's been fantastic to speak to you today. Um, if you are watching on YouTube, please give the video a like, and the link is in the description for the audio podcast, which is released every Tuesday. So, from myself and former Newcastle United forward Kevin Gallagher, we'll see you next time. Newcastle Fans TV. The Greenwood and Mulliner Show is proudly sponsored by Casa San Lorenzo Gosforth, the best Italian cuisine in the Northeast. Reserve a table today on 0191 213 0399 or visit casasanlorenzo.co.uk.